for Web3, when you're connecting to a service through your wallet, you really, really, you really don't have any control over what part of your identity you're exposing. Assuming you've set up multiple addresses and multiple domains, you can, if you want, say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to log in with this, this address or with this domain, which means that they will see only this kind of activity or that kind of activity. That's very hard to do right now. And there's not really any help. I'm sure Unstoppable Domains is trying to get there. But the fact that, one, you, do need, you need to do a lot of active management around that, that identity. And two, that you don't have any control over what part of information you're actually giving away, I think is a really a real problem right now. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. GM, GM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm your host. Today, we're talking about problems in Web3 with Raf, product designer at Electric Capital. And I'm not just excited to talk about the problems. I think we're also going to talk through how people like you, Raf, are thinking through the solutions and the way forward. Because everyone building in crypto and Web3 right now knows that not everything's perfect. But innovation doesn't always look perfect at the outset. This is a process. And so I, I think this is just going to be a cool conversation, laying out these problems and paths forward that you really see that we can do. How are you doing? Happy to be here. Good, good, good. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's just dive in right away. I'd love for you to share with the audience a little bit about who you are and why you're excited to be thinking about product development and user experience Web3 today. Sure. I've been working as a product designer in tech for about 12 years now. I've been working with everything from the small consultancy all the way to the big companies like Facebook and Deliveroo, always in a product designer capacity. And I started in crypto in earnest about a year ago when I joined Electric Capital, which is a crypto-focused VC firm. And the thesis at the time was that crypto and Web3 was at a point where it really needed more product and design people to really get to that inflection point and get 1 billion people in the space. So what I do there is I help portfolio companies that Electric invests in with their design affairs. And it can be anywhere from design feedback all the way to getting down in the trenches with them and, and designing out features of them. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, working with all those companies, I think you see a wide range of applications, of use cases, and that probably leads to seeing the array of problems and challenges we're going to dive into today. So I think that makes you just a good person, feet on the ground, seeing what's going on and thinking through how we can make it better. So mm-hmm. you've laid out five main overarching challenges Let's we'll dive into. So take it away. What's the first one that you want to address? Well, I don't mean to beat a dead horse. I think wallets is really the fundamental piece of Web3. And, and I think it's broken in a lot of ways. There are some people that are trying to, to fix it, but it feels like the surface area is so broad 
There's just so much to do. You know, when, when you work with, with crypto and Web3 applications, over time, you sort of forget all of the learnings that you have to do to get there. And how I realized that recently was I was away on travel and I forgot my, to bring my ledger with me. And I called my girlfriend up to, 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 you know, basically walk her through doing an operation for me, basically just claiming some rewards on a, a DeFi platform. I can't tell you the hell that we had to go through. And mind you, we were over Zoom, so I had full visibility in what she was doing. But from a cold start position, getting the right browser, the right extension, the right tokens in there, the right chains, switching to the right chain at the right time, changing permissions. I mean, all of these things that we've learned over time to, to manage for the layperson is very, very tough to actually get in there and, and, and learn. And basically what she told me at the end of that process was, okay, that's fine, but I have no idea what I just did. And I'm pretty sure I can't do that again, which is great because I had to give her my, my passcode for my ledger and hopefully she forgot it. But basically the whole setup process is really clunky. There's other things with wallets that I think really need to be worked on. I mean, we're going towards a, a multi-chain, multi-address world. And you probably know this with Unstoppable Domains. Yeah. Managing all of those things is really hard. Managing the distinction between what's your hot wallet? What's your cold wallet? How does the hardware fit in, in that model? Very clunky right now. And I think at a, at a higher level, the wallets still don't do a really good job of proactively protecting you from making mistakes. Like about six to eight months ago, there was a whole permissions scandal where it turns out that if you don't set your permissions right, your wallet can be emptied by a, an attacker. That's still not integrated in wealth, as far as I know. I mean, I'm sure there are some wealth that are doing it, but there's just it doesn't feel like the wallets are looking out for the users, especially the new ones. For sure. I may not have gone through as extensive of a experience as you did with your girlfriend having someone actually have to use your hardware wallet and go in. I tried mm-hmm. to set my mom up with a MetaMask. And also, <laughs> I, I felt like she could not go through that process again. And it was just interesting to see that from someone who has fresh eyes going through an experience mm-hmm. that I had felt now comfortable with. But even so, I mean, I, I try almost to never sign transactions because I really just don't... I just kind of sure. assume at this point... I assume malice when I'm interacting with something. So I stay away. But that's not how we move forward, right? So kind of curious, what do we need then from the wallets to take that next step? And I'll also add on here that I'm really hoping that maybe in 2023, a transition we see is people using wallets in a different way. And and I think that kind of comes from new sign-in methods to websites. The standard these days is connect with wallet. And personally, and I definitely have some bias working at Unstoppable mm-hmm. Domains as we're thinking about what single sign-on looks like in Web3, but I don't think wallets should be what we're using to connect with sites since that's supposed to be where we store yeah. all our sacred goods. You're right. Your identity is so large that constraining it to a wallet, even conceptually, doesn't really make sense. Mm. I think that over time, what we really need from wallets or logging in as a whole is much deeper OS OS level integration, Mac OS, iOS, Android, and more specifically to integrate deeply with all of the new biometric auth methods that are there. I mean, Face ID is one, Touch ID is another one. There's actually a really new, exciting project that's being spearheaded by 
Google and Apple. It's called Passkey, which basically uses your device as a unique identifier through the secure enclave so that once you're logged into that device, then your session is, is kind of open. And if you do need to re-off, you go through the device itself as opposed to use a separate piece of hardware. It's almost like you had a private key for your phone. And once you're in your phone, then you can access anything through that. Yeah, I mean, modern phones have secure enclaves, right? I'm sure some cryptographer will tell me differently, but it's not conceptually that different from, from a ledger, right? Assuming that a part of the phone can be violated and that is unique and that you have a direct you know, biometric relationship to it, there's no reason why you can't use it that way. Yeah. For like that operating system level integration, does that mean like MetaMask would need to be integrated into iOS and you need that mm. Apple to wallet partnership? And I guess right. my thought is, if that were to happen, would we only be operating with a couple wallets? Because operating systems aren't going to integrate hundreds of wallets, right? Well, I think you can do it in two ways. You either go the centralized route, the Wealth Garden centralized route, where a OS provider like Apple would, would take on the entire stack, or they would provide really uh, rich SDKs and APIs in order for third parties to, to integrate. Now, depending on the SDK philosophy of, say, Apple versus Android, you can see where things are might be going. Apple yeah. Pay itself, there's quite a bit of politics right now between developers and, and Apple in the use of, say, like the NFC chip on iPhone. So I, I think either Apple is going to have to take it alone or they might just choose a smaller set of approved third parties to, to integrate. Interesting. I feel like if Apple did come out with a wallet or they integrated it into Apple Pay, which I could see that happening over the next couple of years, at least from yeah. a paying with crypto perspective, maybe not a full NFT wallet, but I could see from a tokens and currency perspective, I could see it happening. I mm -hmm. feel like they would just dominate. All of a sudden, everyone would be using that wallet versus all the different wallets we see today. So, And then I that conversation from crypto enthusiasts would also then go to, well, you know, that's that's still a centralized approach. I could see that happening, but interesting. Yeah. Well, let's jump to challenge two. And sure. I did allude to it. And that one was around your Web3 identity. So what do you see huh. are the problems here right now? So if you think about your identity, not just your Web3 identity, but your identity at a high level, what it is, it's really a composite of your offline activity, your online activity, now your on-chain activity, and that that node connects to your interests, your tastes, your purchases, your social graph, what have you. So for better or worse, the login method that we have right now is what? Email and phone number, right? Yep. So when you're using, say, Gmail for logging in, the transaction with Google is very simple, right? So you give me a way to log into services. In exchange, you get to see all my emails and you get to, to serve me ads. Even though not everybody sees that exchange, I think it's well-contained enough such that if you connect to a service, they don't see all your emails. You know that only Gmail gets to see your, your services. For Web3, when you're connecting to a service through your wallet, you really, really, really don't have any control over what part of your identity you're exposing. Assuming you've set up multiple addresses and multiple domains, you can, if you want, say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to log in with this, this address or with this domain, which means that they will see only this kind of activity or that kind of activity. That's very hard to do right now. And there's not really any help. I'm sure Unstoppable Domains is trying to get there. 
But the fact that one, you do need, you need to do a lot of active management around that that identity, and two, that you don't have any control over what part of information you're actually giving away, I think is a really a real problem right now. Yeah, so many thoughts here. Really, since this is one of one of my biggest focus areas and time I spend thinking about. But I'm going to start with Google. So I feel like when you describe that transaction with Google, with giving them your email in exchange to access to services, I feel like that's Google or Web2 solving the cold start problem that Web3 has Mm -hmm. tried to implement through token drops. Is that comparison? Am I stretching that a little bit? Or would you agree a little bit? Because I see them saying, hey, you get this for free in exchange for like coming and using our services and uh, tokens, yeah. you know, we'll do an airdrop of tokens. You just have to be an early user and, and come sign in. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like there's some similarities there. There is. I think the fundamental difference here is that email as an auth method or as an, as a, as a, as an identity method actually came after the first use case of email, which is communication between people. It sort of grew into that. And the reason why it's so powerful to log in with your email is that you can have a communication channel that's built in, right? You don't just log in with services. They can then send you notifications. They can send you communications and you can send stuff back to them as well. Yeah. So I think in order for, for Web3 identity systems to work on top of what I just mentioned, there also needs to be a communication channel that is native to Web3 or integrates in a way that, again, you can choose which part you're exposing and, and you can you have a really good understanding of who will now have access to me as a sort of like as a recipient of notifications. And, and 100%. 100%. Like when you log in with a wallet today, you eliminate the ability for any DAP or maybe it, is, it doesn't even have to be a decentralized application always, right? Sometimes they still have connect with wallet, mm-hmm. but you eliminate that service from being able to reach out to you and communicate. And that could be as simple as, hey, we just dropped a new feature, or hey, here's a reward. Mm-hmm. Or if you can give us this information, we can then serve a better user experience to you. Right. And so yeah. definitely, it's something we're thinking about on Unstoppable. And I, I'd like to share with you two things, because I think a lot of people in the Web3 space aren't all familiar with it. It's hard to keep up with every project, all the features they launch. But two ways I think I'm going to since I said at the beginning, I want to talk about not just the problems, but how some people are thinking about these, solving these is you talk about communication channels. So we'll address that. With your NFT domain at Unstoppable, you can actually use it as a email. And so when you log in, if you log in with your Unstoppable email with partners that are, have integrated that feature, you can permission them your email. It's an email associated with your NFT domain. So if you're raft.nft, your email would be raf.nft at ud.me. And your personal, let's say your Gmail account, raf at gmail.com, your personal one is private. And the NFT email forwards the communications to your personal one. So this is something we just launched like a month ago, but I would say, you know, most people aren't familiar with this. Again, this isn't integrated in every dApp you're using out there, but I do think it's a step forward in addressing that communication channel that wouldn't be possible if you were just logging in with your wallet. Mm-hmm. So I want to share that one with you. And then the second one, I think you talked about exchanging data between yourself and the application. And when you log in with a wallet, you kind of expose all your NFT holdings, but there's not much more personal information you can share, right? I mean, can't really tell them my address or if I'm buying shoes, I can't tell them my shoe size. And, and that's a basic example. But uh, 
We are thinking about how you can permission data that you associate with your NFT domain to the apps. It's not Mm -hmm. given to them, but you can choose what you give to them when you log in. So I just wanted to share that with you because I think it addresses really specifically those two points, which are extreme challenges we see in the market today. And I think, you know, users will want to tend towards more privacy. So any solution that can build login methods and communication channels where you don't know who's on the other end, where it's zero knowledge, that I think will win. And, and, you know, like Apple started to do that with the email proxies. Mm. That's fine. However, the way you manage all these things still very clunky right now. Yeah. So you see, we need communication channels. We need data permissioning that still has a baseline of privacy, but you want to see mm-hmm. that active management become easier and less, yeah. maybe less of a burden on the user. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Awesome. Really well articulated points around the problems with uh, what we're seeing with, a little bit with Web3 identity and Maybe one more question for you along the solutions sure. and the path forward before we go to the next challenge is you mentioned multi- we're going to be in a multi-chain world. So the wallets that we use, uh, often they're limited to one chain. Am I, am I correct mm-hmm. in that generalization or do you feel like it's a little different than that? Most wallets are headed towards a multi-chain concept. Some like Trust Wallet are even going a step further where the wallet actually sort of automatically connects to new chains as, as you play through Wallet Connect. But again, I think the future is a completely chainless future as far as the user is concerned. You have a service, I have a wallet, I don't care what chain you're using, just connect. I think that's what people want eventually. I'll go even a step further and say that, let's say you have USDC in the ETH chain. And you're interacting with a DAP that is on a different chain. The bridging, the fact that you have USDC over here, but not over there, that should be completely hidden to the user. And I think that's where we're headed. We're headed in a world where chains are, are matter a lot. They are the fundamental piece of the stack. But I think they won't have an impedance on the user facing. Man, this may be derailing our challenge conversation, but if the <laughs> chain doesn't matter, then does that mean it will simply the services we use, the applications we use will be built on simply whatever is fastest and cheapest, which may not be Ethereum? Or do you think Ethereum will still remain the foundation of dApps of the future? That's where my technical knowledge <laughs> hits its limits. I don't want to... T- <laughs> no, but I, I mean, from our, my conversations with peers, it sounds like dApps and services will use whatever chain works best for their needs. Yeah. And wallets and user-facing integrations will just have to, to be able to, to interface with that. Sure. Yeah, fair. Totally fair. Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out to you. But without further ado, let's go to challenge three. So challenge, challenge three, three, bringing up, tee us up what, what the problem you're seeing here is. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big fear in the sort of mainstream market of people who want to get into Web3 and crypto in general around risk. Now that risk can take a lot of forms. If you're talking about DeFi specifically, the risk is sort of, it's a combination of like financial risks, financial strategy risks, and protocol risks, centralization risks, hacking. And I think that risk is really not well communicated to users yet. There are some examples of apps that are trying to sort of break it down into standardized language and simple vocabulary to express, hey, if you're, if you're going to start 
investing in this DeFi product, this is a list of, of risks and how, how bad it is. But overall, I think that's really something that's troublesome. The, or at least it's friction for new entrants. The yeah. other is, I think, this is the thing that I think the purists and uh, the mainstream advocates will argue about. But I just don't think that personal custody has a future, at least in its current form, where you have to manage your keys, you have to make sure that you, you do like triple backups, you have to make sure that to have sort of disaster contingency plans for, for if, if, if you lose or, or your, your keys that gets destroyed. There's just not a, a good, simple set of best practices when it comes to, to personal custody. Yeah, And I, I'm a believer in personal custody. I think it, that's one of the big powers of Web3. I'm just not sure that it's simplified and clear enough for new entries to, to be useful yet. So for that backup experience or personal custody experience, do you think we should be seeing more options from... I'm going to throw out a random one to start. Like, Let's say mm-hmm. you have a, a board ape. Should the board ape yacht club provide a service to holders saying, hey, we'll hold your ape in custody for you, safe, maybe for a charge. Is that an evolution in this personal <clears throat> custody that you could see happening? Or is having the, the sole company handling custody maybe not the solution? I think more and more insurance services are going to start popping up. And I think they're going to be built in to the product, the, the services themselves. I think pure personal custody is going to be or better or worse, or more marginal use case. I also think that we're going to build like tiered recovery and safety systems. So again, what, what I was talking earlier about wallets, right now it's like, okay, you either have cold wallets or you have hot wallets. I think what's going to happen eventually is the security of your wallet or custody system will be a gradient where if you want to unlock more, you'll have to add more security features. Huh. I can imagine, for instance, having automatic hot wallets where for everyday small transactions, the threshold for recovery and threshold for, for signing is pretty low. But if you start to go up in balances or, or amounts of transactions, it just becomes like a higher threshold that so you have to meet. To... Mm. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, I definitely hadn't thought of the tiered security system. Mm-hmm. At Unstoppable, we are thinking about building a self-custody solution for NFT domains because as we mm-hmm. view these being your Web3 identity eventually, that would be an awful thing to lose in a mm-hmm. scam or a hack or a phishing attempt or maybe you just straight up forgot your password to your wallet. And so I could see some users opting in for that, but it's kind of the... You have two user groups. You have your core decentralization believers and you have your new crypto entrance and the products or experiences you build for them are oftentimes different. And I think that we're at an interesting point right now in this bear market because the people who are here right now are the crypto believers, the hardcore crypto Mm -hmm. believers and companies that are trying to survive through the bear market till the next bull run, they might be needing to appease the people here today but still thinking about the crypto newcomers of you know the next 18 to 24 months and the experiences that we need to think about for them too. And I think those are those can clash. So it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see how people make those decisions, even around custody and insecurity. Right. Okay, so great breakdown of how we should think about educating users about risk. Now, 
walk us through how we should think about designing for trust with branding and the product experience and design to account for the risks that we know is inherent in Web3 right now? Yeah, I mean, designing for trust is not really just about protocol securities, putting out bug bounties, making sure your contract and your integrations are super solid. It's also about making people feel that your product is trustworthy. So in other words, does it convey accuracy, honesty, professionalism, empathy? I think a lot of products right now, at least in the Web3 space, are still leaning on, on sort of the initial crypto hardcore branding and UX pattern. Yeah. So you'll go to the typical Web3 product. What is it? It's like it's very dark. There's lots of knobs and lots of controls. There's a lot of uh, references to some dank meme that only a few people know about. And I, I think that's fine if you want to cater to your core audiences. But in order to reach the next billion users, I think there needs to be a, a shift in attitude. So there's different ways that you can do that. One of the ways that you can do that is visual design, right? I think it's, it's, it's visual and branding. It's, it's sort of like the first impression that you have with your users. And the initial knee-jerk reaction is, well, we're losing our, we're losing our, our, our identity. You know, there's a real culture there. I think that's fine. You, know, you don't have to look like a bank in order to be trustworthy. I think each individual product and service and company has to find their own authentic tone and voice, whatever works for them. It could be quirky, it could be very serious, it could be very empathetic and then walk people through and like you know, be very friendly. There's no one size fits all solution here. So I, I think there we need to sort of like get away from the from the DGEN tropes and think about like what is it that I want to convey to my user. A thought on that is it's so tough because when you cater to DGEN vibes and memes you do create, I think, more conversation online and mainly Twitter. And community was a word that got thrown around. That was one of the buzzwords of Web3 of the last year, I'd say. And I think that the community, a community is more likely to form around an attitude that is more degen than an attitude that is maybe more trustworthy and empathetic, right? It's a little bit more edgy. People Mm -hmm. want to be associated with that versus just associated with the the thing that works out the box and is easy to use and everyone understands. Like it's a little bit less cool to talk about that, to form a community about that. So I wonder if that has something to do with it because everyone's really trying to find like there are 1,000 power users. Mm-hmm. And as the market is still expanding, I wonder if we'll see changes in tone as crypto expands. And if that will, people will be able to successfully switch that, or if you really need to come out the gate with some of the empathetic, trustworthy, professional, honest, do you need to come out the gate with that? Or can you transition mm-hmm. to that over time after finding your core users? Both are tough, I think. Well, I, I think it really depends on, on the type of product that you're building. If you're building a pretty exotic DeFi product, fine. If you're building a product that requires not just a core audience, a core very engaged audience, but say a social network where it only really works if the network effects are there and where if, if most of your friends are on there, then that's not going to work, right? So again, yeah. depends on depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah, okay. You know, I think that 
that on, I'm just now thinking about Unstoppable now. How how are we positioning? Because we definitely do lean into memes, but I think we also mm-hmm. lean into being more approachable from like some website perspective in terms of yep. you don't have to buy with crypto. I think that's a big designing with trust and interaction design in mind since we're giving people the opportunity to connect with NFTs with a purchasing mechanism they're still familiar with, but not just buying with ETH. So maybe being able to do both, though, is still nice. Well, I mean, I, I went through the Unstoppable Domains flow this morning, actually, to, That's to, awesome. buy my, to buy my first domain. And I mean, I have to say, designing for trust also comes from interaction design. One of the things that I've noticed is that Unstoppable um, is the language is very simple. It's helpful. Every step of the way, it says things like, hey, don't worry, your, your domain is minting. Time you'll be able to, to get a refund if, if something happens. That's also designed for trust. It can come in, in many forms. The thing that I wish more Web3 services did was to be very explicit about the fact that they have your back. Something goes wrong. If you feel like you're lost, there's always help there. I mean, a reason they don't have your back all the time, or maybe they don't say they have your back, is because they don't have a communication mechanism because you're connecting with your wallet. A lot of this stuff is interconnected there, right? But really good point. And actually, I want to ask a community question now, since you brought up your minting experience, and then we'll Mm -hmm. finish with the fifth challenge afterwards. But the community question is, if you were advising a project on how to make the best minting experience possible, like what would you recommend? Because I feel like reading this question, like most mints are like a browser refresh. And it's like you mint something, Mm -hmm. boom. This NFT is on your screen, then you go to OpenSea and make sure it's in your wallet. But if you were thinking about Gucci, you buy a purse, it's in a box, it's wrapped in silk, it feels like an unboxing experience, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a handwritten note in there. Like NBA Top Shot, I thought, did a really good job and really set the stage for NFTs to pop off in 2021. When you opened your pack, it like took you to a screen, music played. There was anticipation because the pack didn't open right away. There were, and so they nailed that. But I have not seen a minting experience really get translated to, to most people. Well, production value is definitely one of those things that, you know, the more you do it, the better it is. People feel that they, they're connecting with something special. You know, because it is dematerialized, the more fanfare and the more polish you can put there, people feel like they're holding something valuable. But I would say actually... A lot of what I think would make NFT minting process better would be more, hey, okay, now you have this thing. Here's what you can do with it. A lot of times, you know, buying an NFT feels a little bit anticlimactic, especially if you if you as a NFT believer introducing it to someone else or you gift them one, it feels like, okay, cool, now what? So I feel like there should be a lot more effort and sort of like, these are the systems you can integrate it. These are the things that you can trade it with. These are the games that you can play with. And that's, that's how it differentiates itself from, you know, like an in-game buying item. I think that's the real key there. True. And I think maybe one reason that we're not seeing that is because the themes of NFTs we've seen, they've started with Top Shot, then it went into PFPs and then, you know, generative art, then music. And so a lot of the things that we saw become NFTs were really collectibles. People Mm -hmm. were looking to invest and flip them. They weren't looking to use them off the bat. Now we're seeing NFTs with utility. And so we do have to rethink 
what that minting experience looks like because we got familiar with one way of doing things. And when you bought an ape or a punk or a moonbird, like whatever it may be, you kind of just bought it and you're like, oh, I got this now. But now you're getting to things like domains and other really interesting applications where you buy it and then you can use it. So great point. Thanks for explaining that. Let's hit him with the fifth challenge here. That one is explaining composability, which maybe you can do that now. So why is this, <laughs> why is this a challenge for us? Well, actually, I think it's it's a great segue from our earlier point, which is a lot of NFTs, a lot of tokens used to be bound to the walled garden of the chain or the application or the DAP that they were born from. And it actually took me a while to really understand the power of composability, which for the people who are not familiar is the ability for your tokens and your NFTs to have utility across different applications. The basic example is this, right? Because you have control over your assets, essentially, you can have them displayed anywhere you want, right? So that's why you have aggregators like Zerion and Zapper really come to the fore where it's like, it doesn't really matter where you got all these tokens from or these tokens. So it doesn't really matter where you're going to use them. What matters is that you have control over them and that you can read from them. So we can present to you a nice a dashboard that has, that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. That's kind of like the first step. The second step, which I feel is the real power, is that you are not constrained to a certain UIs to do something with it now, right? So when I realized that an aggregator like Zapper didn't just allow me to see my portfolio or my tokens, it actually allowed me to swap and to bridge and to, to send stuff all over. That's really when the things open up. And I wish more services took advantage of that and really explained, like, listen, you, you really own your assets and your NFTs to the fullest. You have complete control over, over them. And what that means now is you're not just, you're not just going to destinations to do stuff. Now it's, it's the services that are competing for your attention and competing for the best user interface to get actually your patronage. And. I think that's great because it allows much more competition between user interfaces. Whoever has the best user interface will win because you're, you're free to move around however you want. The problem, though, is that it's kind of like the signing problem. Like now every, everything can interact really well now. So are you interacting with the right service? Again, if you're, if you're just coming to the world of Web3, it might be that you're interacting with the wrong service, right? It might be interacting with a mission service. So with composability, comes, I think, a, a onus on the industry to set safe, basic safety standards so that when you're interacting with a service or with a contract, you know, hey, this is the right contract. This yeah. is the right UI. The problem is that it's hard to do that in a decentralized way. And you see that with NFTs. Are you buying from the right collection? I don't know. Do you know? Marketplaces like OpenSea and Magic Eden are trying to build like you know, certifications or, or, or blue check marks or yep. but who are they to say that a collection is legitimate and another is illegitimate yeah and they get backlash sometimes too when they don't verify someone right away and it's tricky because you try to do the right thing and verify and people then applaud you for it and then if you don't verify the right thing you get exactly. thrashed for the exact same thing Mm-hmm. But no, great, great explanation on, on the problem around composability and what we can do to do better there. I like that we'll see applications competing for the best UI because I think that will ultimately create the best product and experiences for mm-hmm. people like us. Well, right. let's get to maybe my last question and then we'll jump into our one, two, web three. 
And Mm -hmm. just in not even going deep here, but what are some trends you see going into adoption or just trends we'll see in crypto in 2023? I think we we touched on most of of them in our conversation, but mobile, definitely. I think mobile is going to be, it's the next frontier for Web3 applications. I think wallets need to go beyond the browser because it needs to be integrated at the OS level. And the likeliest candidate is going to be mobile OSs, iOS and Android. I think consumer protection services that go across dApps are going to start coming. Wallets will have to start being a bit more proactive to mitigate threats and scams directly in the wallet. I think you're going to see things like insurance, buyer protection even. You know, if you, if you think back of the days of eBay, eBay really worked because PayPal was there, right? PayPal really? not only brokers the transaction, but it also secures the transaction. If you get screwed over by a seller on eBay, you're protected. And we don't have that yet for Web3. And I think these things will have to emerge in order for for the mainstream to, to really get in there. Yeah. I remember when I minted some other side land through the Board API Club. And that night, people spent millions and millions of dollars on gas fees. And there was an uproar about it. And some people spent gas and they didn't weren't able to mint. And so that fire protection could totally been a factor there that could have smoothed tensions over for certain buyers. So I, I could see that definitely mm-hmm. being uh, useful. And then, yeah, go ahead. You, you had one more point to make. Yeah, lastly, I think... I don't think 2023 might not be the year for this, but I think it will really be big once we see more real-world applications and DeFi products. So like crypto-backed mortgages, deeds in, in NFT forms. I think that really is the next step. We, we need more connection with the real world. Yeah. I just saw, I think on OpenSea, a house in North Carolina sold as an yes. NFT. So I don't even know how people are really doing that. But um, cool to see that some of it's, some of it's going down now. Mm-hmm. All right. Great talk on the challenges. Thanks for giving me some predictions in 2023. Let's do one, two, web three. First question. These are rapid fire. Who's the an influential Web3 creator, entrepreneur, collector that's really inspired or educated you? So when I started looking into, into crypto in earnest about a year and a half ago, I mean, I knew, I knew very little. And as it turns out, YouTube was... I mean, I, I'm not big on reading white papers. I'm not, a, I'm not a very textual. I'm not very technical. And there's this one channel called Cinematics on YouTube. And... Honestly, like it sounds like it's just one guy in his bedroom just doodling and explain and whiteboarding DeFi concepts and, and Web3 principles. And I spent hours I mean, look, re-watching the same videos over and over again until I actually understood something. And I'm super grateful for that. That, that was it, it might be a little bit naive. I'm sure he doesn't get everything technically right. But for for getting an intro to, to Web3, I think YouTube is, is the best. As long as you avoid the super junky speculative YouTubers. Yeah. Awesome recommendation. Haven't had that one on the pod yet. So I love it when we get a new creator recommendation. Finematics, definitely we'll have to check them out on YouTube. All right. Second question. What's your favorite NFT? I just went to a electronic music concert slash visual art installation by this Scottish musician called Max Cooper. And they were displaying a lot of generative art there. There's one sort of like segment in particular called Symphony and Acid that was also minted as NFTs. 
It's cool. a beautiful, beautiful generative art that's based on quotes from Ludwig Wittgenstein, the philosopher. And it's like rearranging and it's, it's, it's amazing. I really recommend it. Check it out. NFT is good too. Yeah, definitely. We'll check that out. Very cool. All right. Third question. Last question. In five years, mm-hmm. what do you think is something that we'll be doing in the metaverse that people just aren't thinking about yet? I think there's two trends that are emerging right now that when combined can be transformative. One is the emergence of labor DAOs, which is basically people organizing in DAOs to find work and get paid. Mm. So one of the examples of that is VectorDAO, which is a collective of designers who exchange equity and tokens, I believe, in exchange for uh, design work. The other is, is the rise of anonymous personalities online. We have one of our collaborators at Electric Capital called Ren. And Ren is completely anonymous. I mean, we don't even see his face on, on Zoom. And Ren keeps their life and their work life completely separate. Wow. And super smart, super sharp, very good on, on financial matters. I mean, to the point where I assume that they were super highly senior and maybe even old and with a lot of experience. Does that match to their actual LinkedIn profile? I don't know. But what it does is it makes you drop the biases that you have when you're attracting the people and you're dealing with only what they have to say and their work output. Interesting. So when add-ons uh, start to work in labor DAOs, I think what that, what that does is a lot of people are going to start to have side gigs as add-ons working on things that they're not supposed to work on, or at least society has deemed that they're not supposed to work on. Yeah. I mean, one of the examples that I always use is, I think the Goldman Sachs CEO is also a DJ, which is not, you're not supposed to be like a DJ if you're, if, you're a, if you're a financial guy. More of that is going to happen, I think, to the point where, I mean, in five years, maybe some people have their whole careers as add-ons. Really interesting. I mean, I definitely felt that Really, when I started my career, I mean, I'm, I'm 28, so been working full-time for about six years now. And when I, I found when I left college and started, it was hard to bring my full self to the workplace all the time because I had these maybe interests that were perceived as something you only do it when you're in your youth, like shoot music videos or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't maybe talk about that at work because I didn't want to be perceived as not something else that, that I was supposed to be at work. So maybe that a non meets labor side. Very interesting. And I even thought about when I started getting into content, podcasting, do I want to go the Anon route or show the identity, embrace my name? And I did do that. But I, I also think that sometimes uh, I do feel like being Anon would give me a little bit more freedom to dive into things that maybe I couldn't otherwise. So cool take. Mm-hmm. Love it. That was very a very fresh perspective. Well, Raph, this has been an awesome conversation. I really liked what you brought to the table today, breaking down those challenges. It gives me something to think about. And I hope that everyone listening hears that and thinks, okay, Web3, crypto, it doesn't just have problems. These, there's, path forward. there's a path forward for solutions to all the things we talked about. And there's tons of smart people. I'm working with them. You're working with them. You're advising them every single day. And so to build the Web3 that I think we both envision. So can you please share with us where we can connect with you after listening to the episode? Sure. My Twitter is Raph Electric. Give me a follow. Electric Capital is where you can keep tabs on what we're up to. 
We're always announcing new companies that we're investing in. I mean, I'm excited to, to work with them every day. Awesome. Well, thank you to listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. If you found this episode insightful today, please drop a subscribe, leave a review, and share it. Really, really helps us continue to grow and reach more Web3 curious and native people. With that, I'll see you in the metaverse. I'll catch you next week with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. Peace out. you've enjoyed this episode of the unstoppable podcast if something we said today resonated with you please leave us a review subscribe and share this with your friends and remember this conversation doesn't have to end here tweet us your questions thoughts and ideas to unstoppable web i look forward to hearing from you and thank you so much for listening